Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If you'd like to use a Bible, it's provided for you there in the chair in front of you. That's page 1010. 1010. And we are coming to the uh, last time that we'll be speaking from Hebrews. This is the 28th occasion, 28 messages now we brought. Maybe your Bible just falls open to Hebrews now. I don't know. But uh, regardless of if it's made a mark on your Bible, I hope this series has made a mark on you about the reality of the Lord our God, how great he is, and Jesus is better. We don't ever want to turn back. We don't ever want to settle for less. And that's the great theme of this book. And we're going to read together, beginning in verse 17. I know that you've settled in. I hope you haven't settled in for a nice autumn nap, okay? But please, if you can, stand with me and let's read God's word together, beginning Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers... Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord, and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have come to the end of the book, but none of us here this morning have come to the end of the race, right? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are in a race and we are to run that race with endurance, looking to Jesus, who is the author. He's the finisher of our faith. These last couple of chapters, God by his spirit and through this writer has been challenging us about the key word and maybe the key word to living the Christian life. And that is the word endurance. Endurance. Living for Christ requires endurance. You know, our Lord Jesus never was one to use false advertising. The Lord never told us it would be easy to be a Christian. Thank God it is becoming a Christian as a free gift, right? The grace of God. But to live for Christ 
is not easy. It requires endurance. It required endurance for our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago. It requires endurance for us. And if the Lord does not return, it will require endurance for all the generations of Christians to come to live for Christ. Endurance. And so, as the writer is closing this letter, he's challenging with final words to these Christians of the first century and by the Holy Spirit, Christians of all the centuries. He's challenging us to stay the course. Stay the course. Don't turn back. Look up at the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you. It won't be long that you'll take your place with them in heaven. But until then, fix your eyes on Jesus and run your race. It's not over. It's not time to quit. But press on to follow the Lord. Stay the course. And so the author is challenging these believers. And he does it with two final calls that I want you to see this morning. There are two final calls that he is making to those Christians and by the Spirit being made to us today. Now the first call that he is making is a call to the members of the church. A call to the members of the church. Now, this whole epistle of, of Hebrews is very doctrinal. I mean, it is, it is not a, a, a book that is light reading. It is, it is filled with incredible truth, and it is challenging to interpret it accurately. We've discovered that. But beginning with chapter 12, this great doctrine becomes very practical about how we live our lives. But now, in these closing verses it becomes very personal. Until this point, the author really has not said much about himself. He's not said much into the church of which he is part and the gathering of believers who will receive this letter. But now, in these closing verses, he becomes very, very personal. Now, <clears throat> we don't know his identity. <laughs> it, it's been said since the church father origin. Only God knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know his name, his identity, but these people knew him. And he knew them. He's writing to people that love him and he loves them. And he is pouring his heart out to them and entreating them to listen. Now, he says that he longs to be restored to them. Verse number 19, we get an insight. He says, I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He says, pray because I want to be restored to you. And he wants them to know that he plans to come and that Lord will and he wants to bring Timothy with him because he gives them news. In verse 23, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes. Now this gives us only the historical insight that we have in the book, that the writer here is saying Timothy has been released. And evidently, Timothy was himself imprisoned after 
or about the martyrdom of Paul. You remember Paul said, come and see me, Timothy. Paul was about to be martyred in Rome. Perhaps Timothy himself was imprisoned. And then he was released. The writer here wants people to know that Timothy is released from prison. And I want to come see you. And he says, those who are of Italy send their greetings to you. Did you notice that? Verse 24, those who come from Italy. So perhaps he's saying, Timothy has been set free. We're longing to come see you. And the people, your fellow believers from Italy, want me to send greeting to you. That's about all we know personally. But there is this deep personal relationship. And so what the writer is doing, he's saying, until I come, or if I never am able to come, I want you to make sure you do these three things. And he gives them three challenges. He's speaking to his people. He's speaking to his friends, his brothers and sisters. And he says, here are the three challenges I want to give you. And they're contained in three words. These three words, obey, pray, and stay. Obey, pray, and stay. First of all, he says, I want you to obey. Obey your leaders. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, let's just admit it. This is a little awkward right now. If it's not awkward on your side of the pulpit, it's awkward on my side. I'll guarantee you that. This is a little challenging. And I've taken some ribbing from the staff this week about it. Matter of fact, Pastor Al's had a rumor out. He's been saying, this is the verse Pastor Sam's been waiting for for all these months. He's been wanting to get to this verse. He's been telling people that. And I want you to know that is not true. That is not true. But while we're here, <laughs> just happen to be in the neighborhood... <laughs> I had a professor in seminary. He said, let me tell you my principle of exposition. It's New Testament exposition. He said, That's what that, this is what that means. When you're persecuted in one verse, flee to another. That's what he said. He's calling on these believers to obey and submit to their leaders. Now, this is challenging. And why is it challenging? Well, first of all, it's challenging because all of us are aware of abusive individuals. They have always existed in the church and they exist without number in the kingdom of God right now. Men and women who use religion for their own purposes. They use the Bible as a club. They use their gifts and abilities for their own benefit. And they love to dominate and control. There are abusive individuals, and we recognize that. 
So it makes us a little defensive. But also, we need to acknowledge, especially for us who are from the West, this Western culture, maybe in particular here in America, we have a struggle because of personal individualism. You see, here in America, we have always, always emphasized individualism. You're responsible for yourself. You can do it. You go make your way. You've come here to this land. Now carve out a place for you and your family. You can do that. And we glorify and we affirm those great people of personal individualism. And that is basically almost in our DNA. The problem with that is that when we recognize ourselves as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when we come to the New Testament, we don't come to the New Testament as Westerners or Americans. We've got to come as Christians, right? We've got to think as Christians. And so it's absolutely true that in the body of Christ, listen carefully what I'm about to say, it is absolutely true in the body of Christ there is complete equality. Everyone is equal in the body of Christ. There, it does not matter a person's background, ethnic origin, race. It does not matter someone's power or lack of power. It does not matter if someone's social economic status, riches or poverty. It makes no difference. Before the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ, all ground is level ground, right? All, all level. But it's also true that in the body of Christ where we all have equal standing. There is not always equality of authority and responsibility. Equal standing before the Lord does not mean that there's not a distinction in responsibilities and authorities given within the body to certain people the Lord has appointed. God appoints leaders in the church. God appoints leaders in the church. Three times, did you notice, he references leaders in this chapter. Verse 7, remember your leaders. Do you see that in verse 7? Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Verse number 24, greet all your leaders. The New Testament is very, very clear. It's crystal clear. The New Testament teaches that churches are to be led, not ruled, but New Testament churches are to be led by people who have been called to be servant leaders in the congregation. Now, those leaders in the New Testament are referred to as elders, pastors. They're also called, name is used interchangeably. And it's always plurality. The, the New Testament doesn't know of a church that is led by only one man. There is as soon as possible to be recognized godly, called, and equipped men to share the responsibility. These elders 
are called by Christ. They're called by Christ. And they're calling, the calling of the elders by Christ, listen carefully, is confirmed by the congregation. The calling is from Christ. But who confirms that someone has been called to be an elder? It's not confirmed by a seminary. It's not confirmed by a denomination or a mission agency. The local body of believers are to recognize who God is clearly raising up. And because of their character and their competency, they are qualified to lead the congregation. That's the New Testament teaching. The elders are not above the congregation That they are better than the congregation. They are recognized by the congregation. And they are appointed confirming their call that has come from Christ but has been confirmed by the body. That is the New Testament teaching. Now the key that we want to focus on this morning is the relationship and responsibility of members to their ministers. What's the relationship and responsibility of members to their ministers? Let me give you a few things. Number one, I want you to notice in verse 17, the responsibility of members to their members. The responsibility of members to their their ministers. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey and submit. Obey their teaching. That's what it means. Obey their teaching and submit to their authority. Now, where does the authority of the elder come from? Where does the authority of the pastors come from? It doesn't come from their persuasiveness or their personality. The only authority a pastor has is the authority of the Word of God. No one is above the Word of God. But when a man speaks with the word of God, the authority he has is not his own. It is the delegated authority from God. That's the reason verse 7 says this. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Why are members to obey and submit to their elders? Because the elders are speaking The word of God. The word of God. Now secondly, notice the reason. What's the reason for this? The reason members are to submit to their ministers. Because this is what ministers are to do. They are keeping watch over your souls. They're keeping watch over your souls. What does that remind you of? Remember the night Jesus was born... There were shepherds in the field doing what? Keeping watch over their flocks by night. That's what a shepherd does. A pastor, an elder, he is keeping watch. They are keeping watch over the flock. They are there to protect. They are there to shepherd. That's where the whole word pastor comes from. What does pastor mean? It means a a shepherd. So what is a pastor? A pastor is a shepherd of souls. 
That's what a pastor is, a shepherd of souls. Listen carefully. A pastor is not first a preacher. A pastor must preach the word of God, but a pastor is not first a preacher. First, he is a shepherd of souls. You see, every believer is called to preach. Someone says, you know, I think I may be called to preach. Well, guess what? Your phone's ringing. Because we're all supposed to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, herald the gospel. Could you imagine what would happen if all members of the church actually thought they could proclaim the gospel to people, share the gospel, and got after it? We're all called to preach. Someone says to me, I think I'm called to preach. And I say, have at it. I'm not turning Sunday morning over to you, but (laughs) go ahead. Have at it. Help yourself. All believers are called to preach, but only a few are called to pastor. I want to pause here. There are many that I know of in our congregation, I'm sure some that I'm not aware of yet, who are sensing perhaps a call to ministry. I praise God for that. But I want to make it very clear to you men, the calling, first and foremost, if it is a calling from God, is a calling to care for souls. It's a calling to care for people. Frankly, over the years, I have become increasingly wary of people that I meet, maybe for the first time, and they say, hey, I want you to know I love to preach, I love to teach, and they've come from someplace I don't know, I love to preach, I just love to preach, I love to teach, and I will tell you, I've come to the point, being old and bold, that sometimes now I just even ask the question that's on my mind, here's the question, Why? Why do you love to preach? Why do you love to teach? Unless the passion on your heart in preaching and teaching is by the love of God and the power of his word to see lives changed for the glory of Jesus Christ, then please keep a seat. Because A man who is a minister of the gospel has the people of God on his heart. And what he wants through his preaching is not to show them something new. Not to dazzle them with Greek or Hebrew or an outline that all starts with the same letter of the alphabet. But to see them engage with a living God and be changed. That is what a pastor It's called to do. It's not just a call to preach. It's a call to pastor. Now a word to the congregation. Listen. And I speak to this congregation. And if the Lord calls me home, I promise you I'll be checking up on you if you need to make sure you do this. Or if you go some other congregation, God has you there. As you are a part of a congregation, do not ordain preachers don't ordain preachers you ordain and set aside pastors 
You look for a person, first of all, who may not have all the charisma. He may not have all of the abilities of seminary education. But this dear brother loves men and women, boys and girls, and wants to see them change for Christ. That's who's to be ordained. And if that happens, when you ordain them, then submit to them. Obey them. Because they are caring for your soul. They care for your soul. Now notice from that the third relationship. It's the relationship between members and ministers. It's a relationship. Members are responsible to their pastors. They are accountable to their pastors. Now let me stop here just for a moment and emphasize members of a congregation are responsible to their pastors, the pastors of their church. Brothers and sisters, your pastors are not on television. Your pastors are not on the radio, except for 2 p.m., Monday through Friday, on <laughs> choice 62. <laughs> 5.30 in the morning, too. Your pastors are not on television. Your pastors are not on the radio. Your pastors are not in another church in another location. Your pastors don't attend another church in another location. Your pastors are not in books on shelves. Your pastors are men who walk among you, worship with you, serve with you, celebrate with you, cry with you. That's your pastor. And I want to tell you about your pastors here. There's two thing I want, things I want you to know about your pastors here. We are not perfect, number one. Number two, you're not so hot yourself. <laughs> we're, we're sinners ministering to sinners. We're sinners saved by grace, worshiping a God of heaven and earth, merciful in all of his ways, doing this life together that can get messy. And we're all falling and failing. We need each other. That's what the church is like. It's easy to follow people who will never talk to you. It's easy to follow people who won't call you. It's easy to be devoted to people who... You won't be meeting in church. But that's not the way the New Testament goes forward. It goes forward in congregations of redeemed sinners. Pastors and people alike. Now it's getting quiet, but I want to tell you, I'm just reading the Bible. Okay, I'm reading the Bible. Members are responsible to their pastors. They are accountable to their pastors. And pastors are responsible for their members. And they will give an account for their members. The vast majority of you don't, do not have to tremble when you read this in verse 17. They will have to give an account. When you surrender to the call and the confirmation to be a pastor, you are going to stand before the Lord someday and give an accounting of how you cared for his sheep. That's an awesome thought. It's a sobering thought 
and how much more it should grip my heart day by day. Notice the results of this. Why does God do this? What's the results of members and ministers having this relationship? Is it just so the members won't get out of control? You know, God's got to have the God squad coming down, keep everybody in line. You know, somebody might start having fun. And we know how God hates that. And so he calls pastors <laughs> to make sure they, they stop the fun. No. Verse 17, what's the purpose? Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. As they care for your hearts, let it be with a joy to see you respond and not to groan. That people will not let you guide them in the way of righteousness. Let it be with joy. This would be of no advantage to you. You see what the Lord wants? He wants mutual joy among the ministers and the members. Mutual joy as we walk together in the truth. What was it that aged John the Apostle said in 3 John verse 4? He said, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in what? Truth. Truth. The ways of truth are the ways of joy, right? He's calling the members. Three words. Some of you are saying, oh my, he's only gotten to one so far. Okay, rest easy, rest easy. What's the second word? First word, obey. Second word, pray. Pray. Verse 18, pray for us for we assure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, we don't know the whole circumstances here, but very clearly the writer here is facing opposition. Very clearly he's, he's dealing with some accusations being brought against him. We're not, we're not clear on what this is. But he, he longs to act with integrity. He says, I'm in a difficult situation, but I want to do the right thing. I want to continue to do the right thing. And I want to come and be with you. I want to get back. I want to come home. But there's something I've got to do. Pray for me that I can do this the right way. And I, my heart was just going out to our dear brother Greg here. He was talking about prayer. Pray for your, your servants. Pray. And isn't it amazing? Privilege we have in prayer. We're here in Knoxville. We pray. It goes up to that heavenly satellite. And God sends the answers down in Budapest and all over Eastern Europe. Isn't it amazing? What a great thing to be a part of the kingdom of God. And not to be an observer of the work, but to be a participant. And we labor together with Greg and our other associates. How do we do it? We labor together in prayer. Obey. Pray. What kind of pastors do you want to have? How about praying that they'd be like that? Number three. Obey, pray, stay. Stay. Verse 22 I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, what is he talking about? This word of exhortation I've written briefly. He's talking about the whole book of Hebrews, the whole letter. 
And I'm thinking, wow, 13 chapters? 13 chapters, and he says, I've done this briefly? I like this guy. I like him. He and I are right on with that, okay? But do you know how long it takes to read the whole book of Hebrews? Average sixth grader, one hour. One hour to read the book of Hebrews. You know how it takes, long it takes to read the whole New Testament? The whole New Testament. Less than 20 hours at a sixth grade level. My friend, listen. It's not that God said too much, right? It's just us to take the time to listen. He says, bear with this word of exhortation. That word doesn't mean endure. He doesn't mean keep enduring. No, it means stay with it. Stay with this word that I've given you. Hold fast to this. What I've just read to you, don't, he says, sent to you, don't let it slip away. Don't let it go away. Don't let the enemy take it away. Don't let the cares of this world choke out the word of God. You've come to church this morning. You're hearing the word of the living God. Stay with it. Stay with it. Hold fast to it. It will guide you. Friends, I want to tell you, we need to stay with this word, right? Just stay with the book. There's no book like the Bible. I'm glad you've got books about the Bible. I hope you've got a lot of them. I'm glad you listen to teachers that teach you about the Bible. But I'm going to tell you the greatest teacher of all is the author of this book, the Lord Jesus Christ. By his spirit, he has in, inspired this living word. And if you will open your heart to the open Bible, God will open to you insight and understanding that you cannot imagine. Stay with the book. Obey, pray, stay. Now this pastor is finishing. He's been faithful. He's written this letter. He's speaking to those that are on his heart. And he's called on the members of the church. But he has one final call. Having called on the members of the church, he closes by calling on the master of the church. He calls on the master of the church. And this man writes some of the most beautiful words that have ever come from the pen of a human being. Some of the most beautiful words ever written. Verses 20 and 21, the closing doxology and benediction. Verse 20, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He gives a doxology. What's a doxology? It's praise to him. Praise to him. And friends, I want to tell you the first purpose of prayer is not to ask for something. 
The first purpose of prayer is to praise the name of the Lord our God. He calls him the God of peace. Isn't that wonderful? God's not a God of war. He's God of peace. And he has made peace in the past. Did you notice this? Past, present, and future. He's made peace in the past. He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus, his son, the incarnate God, into time and space. He lived on this planet. He accomplished his father's will. He was crucified on the cross Dying as a substitute and a sacrifice, giving his life, but God raised him from the dead. He is our peace. And you can have peace with your past because there's an empty tomb. That's the reason you can have peace with your past. You'll never make peace with your past in anything you can do. But you can have peace in your past because of what God has done In his son, Jesus Christ. He made peace in the past. He provides peace in the present. Why? Jesus ascended back to the heaven. Now, who is he in heaven? The great shepherd of the sheep. Oh, there's only one shepherd of the church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's had thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of under shepherds. But there's only one chief shepherd. And he's always watching over his flock. That's the reason you can have peace in your present. Because there's never a time when watching over you is not the eyes of your great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And then he's going to keep the peace in the future. The blood of the eternal covenant. The blood of the eternal covenant. This is the new covenant. The old one's done. It was finished when Jesus said... It is finished. And Jesus has inaugurated in his death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven a new covenant. And he brings rebel sinners to himself. He breaks down their rebellious will. He draws them with the cords of love, brings them to repentance and faith. They enter his forever family and they are covenanted together with him forever. It's the eternal covenant. My friend, I thought of this this week. And I actually tweeted it last night. Aren't you impressed? I thought of this this week. Listen carefully. The only thing made on earth that exists in heaven are the scars on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing made on earth that exists in heaven and will always exist are those eternal scars because they are the love emblems of the Lord Jesus and those scars will never heal. He is the Savior who gives eternal salvation and His blood has accomplished the eternal covenant. He praises Him and then He prays for them. This is the benediction. May God... The God of peace, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He provides every resource. 
God's going to ask you and is asking you to do things you cannot do. They're beyond you, but they're not beyond him. He he is your resource. Your resources are not enough. But he is an inexhaustible resource. He will cause you to perform his will. You say you want to do God's will? Let me tell you who wants you to do God's will more than you do. He does. He wants you to do his will. And when you want to do his will and you ask him to give you the resources and you ask him in grace to actually change your heart so that you desire to do his will, he will do it. He'll perform it. And it will all be to the praise of Jesus Christ. He's, this pastor here is pleading with this church, not so people will know there's a great church. Not so people will know, wow, what a great ministry. His one desire is that the praise and honor and glory might go where it belongs to Jesus Christ, the King of grace, who loved us and gave himself for us. What a way to live, amen? Brothers and sisters, I tell you, Jesus is better. Don't settle for less.